Uh, I wonder if you've got your invitation yet. On May 6, Charles III will be crowned king, uh, king of Great Britain and Northern Ireland and the rest of the Commonwealth, including us. Now, forgive me if I'm not 100% in on all the details. Uh, May 6 will be the first coronation of a British monarch since 1953. You can expect it'll be an event of great pomp and ceremony. It'll also be somewhat polarising. For some, it'll be a moment of joy and pride. The monarchy symbolises stability and dignity. For others, it will raise the question of the rightness, the relevance of hereditary monarchy. In a significant way, the only qualification necessary for the job is who your mummy is. I think for most of us, it'll be a day of some historical interest, but we probably won't sit and watch the hours of intricate procedure and ceremony. May 6 will be what we expect it to be, pomp and ceremony, bowing and curtsying, order and dignity, gold, jewels, scepter and symbolic robes like we see in this portrait from the late Queen's coronation. This is what coronation should be, a crowning moment, an expression of the dignity and power of the monarch. But there is one coronation, one crowning moment, that is vastly different from what we'll see on May 6th. And I'm willing to say this coronation is vastly more important for you and me. This is the coronation that changes everything, that changes the world, that changes life for you and for me. There were no invitations sent out for this coronation. Instead, it was an event surrounded by plots and conspiracy. Jesus has been arrested He's been subjected to a mock trial by the Jewish religious leaders. Then he's taken to the regional governor, the representative of Caesar, the Roman emperor. The governor's name is Pilate and Pilate has questioned Jesus over a deadly serious allegation. An allegation of treason, of sedition. An allegation that if true would lead straight to execution. And this is what Pilate says, I'll put it up on the screen. Meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? You have said so, Jesus replied. The allegation would be laughable if it weren't so serious. Jesus is no king. There may be some who want him to be king, but he has no power, no soldiers, no militia. But the charge is serious. The Jews have a king and it's not Jesus. They are subjects, vassals of the Roman Empire and Jesus is not Caesar. This is a serious charge, but Pilate could see there was nothing to it. Although Jesus was upsetting the religious leaders, there was no evidence he posed a political threat. Not only was it easy to see, but Matthew records Pilate's wife had dreamt about Jesus and knew he was innocent. This is what's recorded. For Pilate knew 
It was out of self-interest that the religious leaders had handed Jesus over to him. While Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message. Don't have anything to do with that innocent man, for I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. Jesus is innocent. You don't need a dream or vision to see this. But for political expediency, Pilate agrees to have Jesus executed. When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood, he said. It is your responsibility. All the people answered, his blood is on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas to them. But he had Jesus flogged. And handed him over to be crucified. Now this is all background to the moment I want us to reflect on today. Before Jesus is crucified, he is flogged. He is degraded and brutalised. Many have reflected that this is done to dehumanise the victim of execution. As Jesus is beaten beyond recognition, he becomes a pathetic shadow of a man. As one who is no longer considered human, it's easier for the soldiers to crucify him and for the crowds to stand by and watch the spectacle. It's a shameful pattern of our humanity. It's why the Russians call the Ukrainians Nazis. It's why the Ukrainians call the Russians imperialists, uh, colonizers, or neliudi, literally non-humans. It's easier to kill someone you've already removed from the human race. And that's what the soldiers do to Jesus. Beating and humiliating him so they can kill him. But at the same time, something profound is going on. As the soldiers mock Jesus, it is his coronation. Listen to what the Bible says, and this is printed on the inside of the notice sheet. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus to the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand. Then they knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews, they said. They spit on him and took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. After they had mocked him, they took off the robe and put on his own clothes on, and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him away to crucify him. What we're witnessing is a coronation. It has all the elements of of a coronation, though cheapened and humiliating. A red robe. It's not quite the royal colour, but close enough. A crown, not of gold and jewels, but thorns. Not a symbolic scepter, but a stick, which they then used to beat him. The message, Jesus, you're not a king. 
And instead of crowds joyfully praising the new king, they mock and spit, Hail, king of the Jews. If you haven't got it met, they don't mean it. In their eyes, in the eyes of the Jews, in the eyes of Rome, in the eyes of the world, Jesus is no king. And this is shown as after his coronation, Jesus is led to his execution. As he is nailed and hung on a cross, we're told two significant details. One is the charge, the crime he's being executed for. The charge is written on a sign placed above his head for everyone to see. Uh, You can read it in bold. It's about two-thirds of the way down the left-hand page. Above his head they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. It's meant as an accusation, it's meant to humiliate. The power of Rome is saying, this is what we do to anyone who stands against us. Beaten and crucified, it's a warning and it mocks anyone who dares question Rome's power. And the man with this sign above his head, we're told his cross is between two others. The sign above their heads reads robbers or rebels. The next paragraph continues, two rebels were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Two rebels flanking a false king. But why are we told this detail? The Roman Empire crucified countless people, rebels, robbers. Why does Matthew zoom the picture out so we can see these three men and not focus on the one? It makes sense in in the context of a conversation Jesus had a few weeks earlier. A few weeks prior, Jesus and his followers were making their way up to Jerusalem, what would prove to be his final journey to Jerusalem. And as they walk, the mother of two of Jesus' disciples, the mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee, she comes to Jesus with a request. Can can her sons, her boys, can they have positions of power when Jesus becomes king? Can they be right there with him, one on his right and on the other on his left? Uh, let's listen in on this conversation. It's up on the screen. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down asked a favour of him. What is it you want? He asked. She said, Grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my father. 
The, this mother is trying the kind of backroom politics that still happen today. But Jesus says no to this kind of power play. His kingdom is not like this. You don't know what you're asking. James and John won't be at his left or right when he comes into his kingdom, but we're told to look out for those whose place has been prepared. And as you read through Matthew's biography of Jesus, keeping an eye out for people on Jesus' left and right, the next time it happens is at Golgotha. As Jesus is crucified, we're told the detail of the two men, one on his right, the other on his left. It could have been any other arrangement. Jesus could have been at the beginning of a long queue of people crucified that day, but he wasn't. It is at this moment Jesus has one on his right and the other on his left. The unmistakable conclusion, the crucifixion, is when Jesus comes into his kingdom. He is enthroned through crucifixion. And this is shocking. The cross is when Jesus is utterly alone, utterly abandoned. His disciples are nowhere to be seen. The only friendly faces are those women looking on from a distance, including the mother of the sons of Zebedee. Do you wonder what's going through her mind as she sees Jesus with one on his left, the other on his right? And as Jesus hangs in agony, abandoned by his disciples, he is even forsaken by God. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Forsaken by his friends, forsaken by God, and yet the Bible has the audacity to say, at this moment, Jesus is coming into his kingdom. Surely this gives credence to the mockery of the soldiers. He is no king. How can he be? Jesus is mocked, crowned with thorns and forsaken on the cross as he dies. This is not a king, at least not a king we recognise. And to make matters worse, when Jesus responded to the mother of James and John, he talked of God as father, claiming not only to be God's king but God's son, the one who is crucified, this is God's son. And we struggle to comprehend this. We think God should be a king with armies. We think control and might is how God should behave. We struggle to recognise God and his king in this crucifixion. Many people, even Christians, struggle with this. We struggle with this. We think, well, the cross is merely a temporary aberration. It's not really how we know God. Yet the Bible says it is on the cross. When God appears most distant, most hidden, this is when God is most revealed. But what does it mean? 
It sounds like gibberish. In what way is humiliation and crucifixion Jesus' crowning moment? Well, Jesus explains this in the same conversation as he was uh, heading to Jerusalem. Because after saying that James and John will not be at his right and left as he comes into his kingdom, Jesus says, well, it keeps on going. When the ten heard about this, that's the rest of the apostles, they were indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The Son of Man, Jesus, God's King, he didn't come to be served, but to serve. King Charles III will be waited on hand and foot. In his reign, he will be surrounded by servants, footmen, butlers and advisers. As a king, he will be served as he has been all his life. But not Jesus. Jesus didn't come to live in luxury, but to give his life to die as a ransom for many. When the question of power and position comes up, Jesus' answer is, I am not that kind of king. Jesus isn't this kind of king because God is not that kind of God. Jesus is the king who gives his life to pay the ransom. A ransom is paid to secure someone's freedom. Jesus' life is the ransom price, the price paid to bring freedom, freedom from oppression, not just the oppression of earthly kings and the service they require, but the oppression of sin, death and the devil. In his death, Jesus pays the ransom price. Jesus dies the death, we, you and I, we all deserve to die. And Jesus pays the ransom so we can be welcomed into his kingdom. Welcomed not as power players, but as forgiven friends. And so the question for us today is, what will you do with Jesus? Will we recognize the crucified one as God's king? Will we realize why he was crucified? He was crucified because we are not free. We are trapped in the power plays of the mother of James and John. We need a ransom paid. We are trapped in a prison of our own making of sin and the fear of death. And having recognized Jesus as king and his death as the ransom for my sin and yours, then we must receive his ransom for us, turning from our sin and resting in Christ. This is the kind of king Jesus is. This is why the cross is good news, as in weakness and humiliation, 
the king who gives his life for us is crowned. Let's pray. Almighty God, open our eyes that we would see Jesus. That we would see him as the one who came not to be served, but to give his life as a ransom for us. To see the self-giving, the crucified one as our king, as our God. May we realise our sin, that we're trapped and we need a ransom. May we turn from sin and receive and rest in Jesus and what he did through his death. Amen.